Hi everyone and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Property Investment Podcast. I'm your host Ziv Nakajimam again. Great to have you with us today. Glad you could tune in and thank you for your patience in recent weeks. I've been a bit irregular with the new episodes for the past three weeks or so, mainly due to the fact that I've been in Australia, Gold Coast Australia to be more precise, on a family holiday, which makes it a little bit hard to create that quiet environment that's needed for recording this podcast. In fact, even the few precious minutes in which I'm speaking to you right now have been hard to come by, let alone the uh, 10 or 20 minutes needed for a full podcast episode. However, I wouldn't want to leave you without your Japan property investment fix. And since I've also had the pleasure of speaking at a short seminar here in Brisbane, Australia last week, which has been recorded, um, although not at the highest quality, I thought I'd share the Q&A section of that seminar with you. The presentation section was probably already quite familiar to those of you who have been following this podcast for a while, but the Q&A session, which had more info about our company and fee structure, other options for first-time investors to Japan, uh, financing, and other juicy topics, that's probably worth a listen to. If you can brave through the first few minutes or so, the recording does become a lot clearer about halfway in. So here we go, a Q&A session from our Brisbane, Australia, Japan Real Estate Property Investment Seminar. Enjoy. Your one, two bedroom apartments at most, and to generate those eight, nine, ten percent returns that we've seen. Mm-hmm. The bigger ones just will not, will not get that much, but if prices do go up, then they stand to gain more. They've got a larger land footprint per year. And just being an Aussie, have an answer to question. Um, what percentage do you take as an agent collecting rent on behalf of Australian owners? We're not the agents, we're on top of that. And if you deal directly with real estate agents, they charge, depending on the price of the property, between um, 3.5 to 5.5%. So it goes up gradually. And the property managers charge between 3 to 5% of the gross rental income per month for management. And building fees vary, so depending on how fancy or how old the building is, they can be anywhere from a 10% of your gross rental to 30, 35% of your gross rental. And if you need somebody like us to help you um, just centralize things to like, be a one-stop shop kind of thing and to give you local know-how, we charge um, 4 or 5% depending on the value of the property on the purchase and 2 or 3% depending on the gross rental income for the monthly portfolio management. So that includes your balance sheets, um, managing your, your banking for you, collecting your income, paying your expenses and dealing with them. The Japanese-speaking property managers. Yes, on behalf. That's right. So that four to five percent you charge for the transactions over and above the agency, or that's correct. Yes. Uh, but we provide obviously due diligence. We provide negotiation service. We tell you if it's reasonable to negotiate this property down and so forth. So it usually works out to be about the same amount. And on the monthly, it's um, between three to five for the PM, and then another two or three for us. Yeah, if, if you need our help, I mean, we've got people who have um, Japanese spouses or Japanese residency that they've had in the past and uh, they've still got their bank account and they might be happy to manage everything on their own, so it's up to you, the level of service you need from us. But again, it's not just us. I mean, if you're, if you're happy to talk to a few entities and, and you're, you're not really keen on having just this one single point of contact, then every city will have uh, at least one or two real estate agents who will have English-speaking staff. Good point. Uh, as well as property managers, um, insurance, building management might be tough, but the property manager potentially could help you with that if you find an English speaking one. 
Um, but if you're planning a portfolio, then you need to find the ones that speak English in each and every city you're going to be investing in. So you've just got a few a few points of contact there. If you're happy with that, you don't need anyone like that. Just the tax system. <clears throat> um, a bit more comfortable than Australia, um, but it's not Singapore. So income tax, um, assuming individual or um, uh, not corporate ownership. So income tax starts at about 380,000 Japanese yen net per year, so about 4,000 Australian net per year, but you can carry your purchase costs three years forward. So most people, if they have one or two units, wouldn't be paying anything at all, they'd be under the reporting threshold, and even the ones that have larger portfolios, uh, first three to five years in tax free. And it goes up to 5% at that level for every yen thereafter. So the 380 is still free, and then from 381 you pay 10% uh, per yen up until about 22,000 odds per year, where it goes up to 10% and so forth. So, so quite that, that means the Australian also have to pay the Japanese tax? Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Japan and Australia have an income tax treaty, so you're not going to be taxed twice. You pay what you need to pay in Japan, and then... will be offset. So yeah, offset. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So then they offset whatever you paid there when you pay your uh, income tax back here. So what company tax? Circa 30%, is it? 30%, yeah. 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 So um, purchasing through a corporate entity, is that a...? Um, it's a feasible option if you're planning for a bigger portfolio. Mm. There are a lot of deductions that you just can't claim as an individual. Um, and if you've got a mother company overseas, they can transfer funds across free of charge uh, as a loan to the, to the daughter company and so forth. Um, from what the accountant, most of our customers use, um, estimates if you're not planning for a portfolio that's going to be a million dollars or over, if you're just going to have a few apartments, probably not worth it. Um, but again, case by case, you have to speak to an accountant for that. Capital gains tax, if you sell within five years, um, it's I think 39% of the loan. After those five years, it halves to um, 18 or 19%. You had a question? Back to the tax in a second. Sorry, here we go. Back to our tax. Yep. You're only saying that this is the government of Australia, and I have $3,000 from the office. That's right. So you'd be tax-free in Japan, but as far as I'm aware, Australian legislation does require you to declare that even if it's tax-free there, and then you'll be paying whatever you paid here on that three thousand dollars. You just don't double tax. You're not double tax. That's it. Thank you. Any other questions? Your FE is covered if you go over to buy something. Not like on the Australian tax. They're deductible. Oh yeah. Okay. I don't think you're going to get paid back for it. But no, I mean, yeah, so if, you, if someone flies over and pays, like, like you said before, $4,000 yeah. uh, apartment and you spend a thousand bucks on it, they are uh, tax deductible, yeah, that's just assuming that you've got over there. Yeah, just make sure that you've actually got an itinerary that shows that you're going to that place where you purchased property, but yeah. And one more. Um, what is the most typical repeat customer you would have? That, that, that's, if, if you can give us an, an, an Australian, is it Australians are usually professional couples. We get um, couples um, probably starting around 35 to 60, 65. Usually couples or retirees. 
Um, depending on the country, sometimes um, from Singapore, for example, we got a lot of um, family offices or young professionals. And in Thailand, we've got family offices as well. Um, in the USA, it's more single professionals. And couple. Australians are usually uh, a typical customer, are usually young couple, uh, not young, sorry, middle-aged couple. Mm -hmm. And what are they buying? And they usually start off with one or two smaller units just to test the waters. Um, go on for about a year or two, they see that the income is coming in and they can repatriate whenever they want. And then they say, okay, we've got another 100,000, should we buy a small building or a few other units that we can spread out, just depending on their, on their personal criteria. It depends on the portfolio, you've got in other countries too. Like if you've got something in Australia that's nice and safe and stable but generating low rental yield, you might want to head into something that's a bit higher on the cash flow in another country. And if you got nothing on the other hand, we probably recommend, I know definitely Chica would recommend, to, uh, to stay safe and stable close to city centers even in Japan. So you might be making 6 or 7%, not 9 or 10, but you'll never have to worry about tenants. And then once you've established this safe and stable portfolio, then you can be a bit more adventurous on the edge of Japan. It's really up to the investment. So you're going to tell us about how we can get cheap money in Japan? How you can get? Cheap money to fund all these things. Um, cheap, yes, but it's not easy. So at the moment, the only, and that's only started a year or two ago, the only um, arrangement that we are aware of is to set up a Japanese company. Yeah. can be either a company, uh, a native Japanese company with a local nominated CEO, or it can be a branch of a foreign company, in which case the CEO doesn't have to be local. And then you apply for essentially a business loan. It's not a real mortgage. You're applying for a business loan. If you've already got assets that you purchased in Japan and that are fully paid for, you can use those as securities and get up to about 80 or 90% of the value of that asset. If you've got nothing, there are a few of the bigger banks that will give you a loan even without a Japanese asset or income history but they'll want you to start at a million and they'll only give you 40 or 50 percent. So if you're happy to put down uh, five or six hundred thousand bucks, they'll give you the extra uh, four or five. Otherwise, it's still difficult. Once you've established an income stream in Japan and you've got a year or two of, um, of uh, uh, documented income, it becomes a bit easier. What sort of interest rates? What sort of interest rates are we talking about? Um, with the bigger banks, they're about 3, 3.2. Um, uh, sorry, with the smaller banks, about 3, 3.2. If you get in with the mega banks, it's about 2.4, 2.5. So pretty good rates, but again, it's, it's quite hard to qualify. And you need to come um, in person for a meeting with the bank, show them your ID, they want to make sure you're not a money longer or what. Which fee do you recommend, or which fee we shouldn't touch? Because we are, you said we are Tokyo is the nearly the uh, the price, which is a enough. Well, again, it really depends on your criteria, right? So, if this is your first time purchasing in Japan and you want to play it safe, uh, Central Fukuoka or Central Osaka or Central Tokyo are good, um, but. The cash flow will be quite low. So Central Tokyo Osaka will be maybe four percent if you're lucky. Central Fukuoka five and a half or six. Other big cities like um, Nagoya or Sapporo, 
Um, sometimes Kawasaki, Yokohama, if you're lucky, can generate slightly higher returns. Um, but they can be problematic. Like Sapporo, for example, has got a lot of areas that have been overbuilt in recent years. That's starting in Fukuoka as well. And then it becomes a case of, well, newer, newer developments are available for um, similar rent, and you have to lower your rent because you've got an older property. It becomes a bit of a race to the bottom with the other landowner. You've got five vacant properties, and they keep dropping every week because everybody wants to be the lowest. And um, like Brisbane at the moment. So there's ways around that if you don't want to enter that race so you can um, try to rent it out as a monthly mansion, meaning um, short-term rental but one month at a minimum, you can get higher rent for that, but then you have to furnish the place and provide Wi-Fi internet, that sort of thing. And city-wise, Nagoya is good, Fukuoka is good, uh, Fukuoka returns are a bit lower but it's a very good profile city. Um, Nagoya returns can be higher but the tenants are a bit rougher. so a lot of blue-collar industrial um, sort of manufacturing tenants. Um, again, no forced evictions, you know, they're not going to blow a place up or run a drug lab in it, they're still Japanese, but they just could have more payment issues once in a while. Um, move out a bit more frequently than other people. And medium cities that are quite good are uh, Kumamoto, Kurume, and Kyushu. Um, we sometimes see something good in uh, Kyoto. Uh, Nagasaki occasionally, Chiba, but depending on the location, because Chiba can be quite agricultural as well, so you want to stay close to the industrial, uh, to the uh, centralized area. There's quite a few of them. Are there restrictions on foreign ownership for agricultural land? No. You just have to report the foreign uh, purchase to the Bank of Japan. They keep track of who's buying what. Yeah. But that's it. No, no. You're in fact exempt from uh, some local municipality fees when you're not a resident. Okay. Just peanuts, but it, it's, there's no limits whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, but again, practical management, you want to open a bank account, you want to, uh, online banking is only in Japanese, even if you do manage to open a bank account, um, you want to work with someone, you have to look hard. Like, you know, in other countries, if you go to, um, even in Asia, anyway, you go to the USA, to, um, to Thailand, to, I know Australia is like to buy in Bali or Phuket or what have you. There's going to be a host of people who are dying to work with you. They all speak English. They all try to sell their goods. You have to sort of pick the reliable ones. In Japan, it's exactly the other way around. So everyone's reliable. Everyone's trustworthy. Everyone's honest, or almost everyone. There's bad habits everywhere. But you have to work very hard to find somebody who will agree to work with you. Because it's counterintuitive environment. Or something. Questions? Thank you, Zid. No worries. Okay, that's it from us today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this Q&A session in spite of the initial audio issues. If you've got any questions or requests for clarifications about anything you've heard here today or in previous episodes, do feel free to drop us a line or a comment wherever you may have found this recording. And please do share this podcast with your own networks if you think they may find it interesting. And as always, we'd really, really appreciate it if you could rate this podcast on the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, YouTube, or again, wherever you may have found us. Thanks again for your time. Wishing you a fabulous new week. And until next time, happy investing. Oh.